So we're going to be looking this morning at Genesis chapter 2, starting with verses 1 and going through verse 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for bringing us together to study your word, to consider the blessing which you have poured out upon us, and to remember who you are. Lord, we pray that you will, that you convict our hearts, or that by your spirit that you will, that you will soften us and that you will change us. Lord, and that you will make us desire and want to do things the way that you have called us to do them. Lord, let us this morning worship you by hearing your words. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, when I came here this morning, I wasn't going to share with you all of that stuff. And so I'm a little bit lost getting started with my sermon uh, because I shared some of the things. But we're going to start this morning. There are a couple resources that I would like for you to be aware of that kind of went in to sermon preparation. Uh, one is Wayne Muller's book, and it is a very creative uh, name for a book on the Sabbath. It's called Sabbath. Um, but it is a book that I would like for you to, to think about. And if you would like for some helpful, um, advice on some very practical things that you can do in order to help you to remember and to consider and to put into practice some habits to help you, uh, to help you rest on a Sabbath day. It is a a fantastic book. However, if you want a resource that can help you think theologically about the Sabbath day, that can help you to um, understand all of the ins and outs and, and why you should do this the Sabbath day, it's not the best book. Um, it has some things that are wrong in it. So if you uh, are looking for practical advice, it's great. If you're looking for understanding of why we have the Sabbath, it's not the place to go. There is a, another resource that is much, much easier for you to get your hands on. Um, it is John Piper's website, Desiring God. Uh, John, Piper's, John Piper is a a Reformed Baptist pastor writer, um, and I'm going to mention him a lot uh, through this morning's sermon, but his focus, focus on most of his works are, um, are on delighting in 
our worship God or our learning to delight in worshiping God. So John Piper's, uh, you can just go to the desiringgod.com website and he has, or actually you can just Google John Piper Sabbath day and it'll take you directly to um, his resources on, on that. So to start this morning, we are looking at a, a quote from Wayne Muller. It says, our culture invariably supposes that action and accomplishment are better than rest. That doing something, anything, is better than doing nothing. He further states that in our drive for success, we are seduced by the promises of more, more money, more recognition, more satisfaction, more love, more information, more influence, more possessions, more security. The busyness has become such a universal norm that beyond the universal answer to how are you doing, which most people respond how are you doing? Great, fine. Good. The next most normal response, if you, if, if you said, how are you doing? And they said, fine. You said, no, really. How's it going? Busy. Life's just really busy right now. And I have found that... In my, for myself, both before sabbatical and now, that is still my most common response. Life's, life's really busy. It feels like we're, we're, we're constantly going and, and there's no time for rest. And I found with most of my youth leaders, most of the parents in the ministry, that, that that's the most normal response because we have to go to work and we go to church and we have kids' soccer games, and, and, and all of these things that we are constantly going and going and going. And not only the, that, is that the most normal response, but it feels like that if that is not our response or if that's not how we feel, then something must be wrong. That we're not doing a good job or we're not doing good work. So much that busyness... Sometimes it feels like is the equivalent to good work. At least that's what I at first thought. But then I thought about it a little bit deeper. And I'm like, it's not equivalent, but it is necessary. Being busy doesn't mean that we're doing good work because we could be busy doing a really bad job. But we feel like we have to be busy and do good work at the same time for people to think, They're really good at what they do. So as I was beginning my sabbatical, I had this tremendous desire to stay busy. If you were to ask me, how things going? You must be enjoying it. My real, true, honest answer, I don't like it. Like, it was hard. I didn't want 
to not be working. And so I would wake up this morning and I, in the morning and I would start going through what, what, are, what are the things what, what, what are the things that I need to do? And I, and I felt like I didn't have value because I didn't have to do that much of anything. Now, there were some things that I had to do. Um, my kids were still in school. I was actually still in school. Um, and, and ironically, when, when I first started this whole sabbatical thing... I was working on my uh, final paper of one of my classes uh, for my doctorate. And it happens that the biggest portion of this paper was on Sabbath rest. And so the one thing that I found myself skipping rest to do was working on this paper about how it is important to rest and take a Sabbath, take a time off from ministry in order to focus on God, but instead of focusing on God, I was focusing on words and and papers and and making sure that I had the right format in this paper so that I, you know, would get a decent grade. But the truth is God does not stress busyness as a value to be longed for in Scripture. He doesn't stress laziness either, but that there is a balance of both work and rest. And Muller calls this a rhythm, the rhythm of life. He says that the Sabbath day is rooted in God's work of creation. And then on his rest on the seventh day, his work was declared to be Very good. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. And because of God's creation and the fact that he rested on the seventh day and he blessed it, we find that God also gave us as a part of the Ten Commandments. You know, those are, are kind of the rules that we still look at and we're like, these are what's important uh, as, as the rules in the Old Testament. The fourth commandment. It is as we proclaimed earlier, six days you shall labor. Or remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. John Piper says this, The reason given in both Genesis 2-3 and Exodus 20-11, those two verses... Why God blessed and hallowed the seventh day is 
that on it God rested from all his work which he had done in creation. What does it mean that God rested? It means at least that he was satisfied with his work of creation. He was satisfied that it was complete and very good. His rest means that he wanted to now stand back, as it were, in leisure and savor the beauty and completeness of his creative work. See, our God is a big God. He doesn't actually need to take a break, to take a rest from his work. But he desired to take a step back and delight in the wonderful work that he had done. (coughs) His desire is also for us who actually do need rest to take a step back from our life and delight in the work that he has done. So this morning, very quickly, we are going to look at three different things. First, we need to work for God's glory. We're focusing primarily on rest, but rest assumes that first we work. Second, we need to rest for God's glory. And third, we need to delight in God's glory. In Exodus 20, 9 and 10, this fourth commandment says, Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to, your Lord, to the Lord your God. The commandment to rest begins with this foundation that before you rest... You work. Then in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus says, "Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest." Those people, in both of these verses, the people that are in need of rest are those who work. So, like I said before, my family and I have been blessed with this calling to serve God. In ministry, and we have been doing that pretty much all of our adult lives. Um, so, in college, I worked for a ministry uh, called that was called then it was called Student Venture, which was um, the high school version of Campus Crusade for Christ. Um, I was also in college. I studied Bible, and my minor was in youth ministry. And so I had this, my, my youth ministry professor was absolutely fantastic. Um, but as I was going through school, we were, Carla and I were talking about getting married, and then we were planning on getting married, and then we got married about two weeks after my junior year in college. Um, she, uh, she had already graduated and then two weeks later, we got married. And going through these things, uh, my youth ministry professor said, if there's any advice that I could give you, it would be when you first get married to take a full year off of ministry in order that you may focus on 
your relationship, on your marriage, so that you can uh, start off on the right foot. And I said, okay, that's great advice. How about six months? And then it actually turned into about four months. And, and then I started working uh, at the first church that I had ever worked at. Um, it was a really, really hard church to work at. Not in terms of my ministry, everything was fine in my ministry, um, but everything in the church was in the process of falling apart as I started there. Because uh, not long after I had started there, I found out that the pastor was having an affair with somebody else that was on staff, and that I was kind of going to be the, the person in the middle of, of all of that as there was fighting back and forth between uh, families in the church, because everybody w- on staff was involved in this thing except for me. And so I'm 21 years old and trying to figure out how in the world I am supposed to serve God at this kind of church. And what I realized is that, one, I didn't have to because I was young and I wasn't going to be there forever and so, again, my youth minister professor gave me some great advice. He said, leave, <laughs> run away. <laughs> and so I did. But what I quickly discovered is, guess what? All churches are full of sinners. And if they weren't, I would ruin them all because I am full of sin in my own life. So as I began in this ministry... Things got real, real fast. So as I think about things, about 16 years ago, I was sitting in a, a seminary class. It was a class called Greek to Modern Meaning, uh, which was a fancy way to say, hey, we're going to um, help the professor write a commentary uh, that, that considers the Greek language uh, by talking about our own life experiences and our own ministry experiences as they relate to the passage. And so we're talking about the book of Thessalonians. And, and in 2 Thessalonians 2, uh, it talks about how we are to stand firm and trust that he is doing this work of salvation. And I was reminded then, and I am continually reminded today, that it is God that is continuing to work. It is his faithfulness. And he calls us to keep doing, keep being faithful, and that he will keep working through us, no matter all the situations that are around us. He doesn't call us to produce, or he doesn't call us to save people, but he calls us to faithfully do the work that he has given us to do. In these times, whether we see his effectiveness or not, God simply calls us to be faithful. And this is what it feels like most of the time in ministry, and specifically in youth ministry, 
Because we don't have the opportunity very often to see what people are going to turn out like. Because people come in like in sixth grade and they leave when they're 18. And God's still working. Like they're not the person that they're going to be forever when they graduate at 18. And so sometimes we've gotten to see People grow up and do awesome, awesome things for Jesus. Other times, they leave and we're like, I don't know what's going to go on in their lives, but it's not looking good. And then we never hear from them again. And then there's times where we're like, I don't know what God's, God's going to like. I, I don't know. And then we hear from them uh, several years later and they're like, a deacon or an elder in the church and having babies. And it's like, I'm really glad that God was working there. And God doesn't call us to produce all of that stuff. God calls us simply to continue to be faithful. And that is our ministry. You likely are called to other things. Some of you may be called to teach, others to be nurses, others to be financial advisors, mechanics, moms, many various different things. Adam was called to name animals. And then after the fall, he was called to work by the sweat of his brow. Whatever all that meant, he had to work really, really hard. The point I'm trying to make here isn't that God calls each of us two specific things, and you need to figure out what it is that he called you to so that you can be happy. The point is that he's called us all to work. And we work hard, and we work for his glory, and then we also rest for his glory. He desires, says that we work six days, and then the seventh we take a rest. God calls us to work for his glory and to rest for his glory. Rest is rooted in the fact that God worked for seven days and then he rested. God considered the work that he had done for six days and it was very good. So in the New Testament, we see a couple instances that depart from that a little bit. As we find Jesus doing work on the Sabbath. So as Jesus is doing good work on the Sabbath day, the Pharisees challenge him. And in Mark 2, we see some of these comments. In Mark 2, it says, The Sabbath was made for man. This is Jesus. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And then in both Mark 2 and in Matthew 12, Jesus says, For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. The Son of Man, this is Jesus, is the Lord of the Sabbath. So we have two obvious statements about the Sabbath day. And God gave man the Sabbath day for his own benefit and that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath day is for man's benefit because man needs it. And because Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. 
So in these passages, what we do not find is Jesus saying, okay, it's New Testament now, it doesn't matter anymore. But rather what we find is is Jesus being real and saying the Sabbath day is, is important. It's good. But it's not intended to be this hard rule that you have to do even if there is good work that has to be done. And so he's like saying, if you're hungry, shouldn't you, shouldn't you eat some food? If, if your animals need fed, shouldn't, shouldn't you take some time to feed them? If somebody's sick or hurting, is it wrong to, to help them out? And here we find that Jesus' answer is, no, those things aren't wrong. Those things are good. But it doesn't mean that you, shouldn't, that you should stop remembering the Sabbath day. See, the commandment, for the fourth commandment, it's remember the Sabbath and keep it, keep it holy. It's not, no matter what, don't do any work on this one day a week. It's remember the Sabbath. Continually think about it. Remember it. Remember what God has done. Remember how good he is. Remember how great his works are. Remember the Sabbath day. Yes, you need to take a break. You need to stop doing some work. At least, he says, you know, one day in seven days, take a break. See, our God knows that most of us will be prone to either be lazy and not do good work, or that we will be prone to do good work, but that we will, that we will not take the time that we need to rest, to recover, so that we can continue to do these good things. So Jesus reminds us that we are to remember the Sabbath day, and when we work hard, the rest of the week it is good for us to take this break for his glory. Finally, not only did God give us the Sabbath day so that we could work for his glory and that we could rest for his glory, but so, so that we may delight in God for his glory. As, as the Sabbath day is rooted in creation, we simply ask the question, why did God create man? And we see in the, the catechism, and many of us have memorized at least the first question. We haven't made it necessarily much further than the first question. But the question is, what is man's primary purpose? And the answer, the primary purpose of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And most of us, when we think about that, when we consider that, we're like, well, God calls me to give Him glory. He calls me to give Him praise but we generally stop there. We don't think really very much about enjoying him. And this is where reading some of John Piper's works is a fantastic 
thing for to do. Because all of his books, he stresses that God is most glorified when we delight in glorifying him. He is most glorified when we actually enjoy worshiping him. God does not simply desire our praise. He wants us to actually take pleasure in giving him praise. This is one of the reasons that we find the Sabbath day. God did all of his work on six days, and on the seventh, he rested from all the work he had completed, and he blessed that day. On the Sabbath day, God desires that we would delight in all of the work that he had done. And initially, his work of creation. And then in in the New Testament, it moves to the first day so that we could delight not only in his creation, but also in his work of salvation. Isaiah 58 says this, If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable. If you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. So in other words, what this is saying is instead of focusing on your own uh, small pleasures, to take a break from that, to take a break from the work and the things, the, the small things that you find pleasure in, and find pleasure in God on this Sabbath day, on this one day of the week, then you will not only delight in the Sabbath, but you will actually delight in God. John Piper again says, God's purpose for us on the Sabbath is that we experience the highest and most intense joy that can be experienced. Namely, that we take delight in the Lord. And yet what he finds again and again and again is professing Christians who prefer little human-sized pleasures from things that we have no close relation to God at all. Then he puts it into perspective and he says, if you worked seven days a week in the hot sun to keep life and limb together with scarcely any time for leisure and reflection, would you consider it burdensome? If your God came to you with omnipotent authority and said... I don't want you to have to work so much. I want you to have a day, a week, to rest and enjoy what really counts in life. And I promise to meet your needs with just six days of work. That is not a cruel command, but it is a gracious gift that our God has given to us. So I would like to I'm going to move on a little bit. We're going back to uh, the, the Wayne Muller book that I said to you it has some great practical advice. 
but it is not necessarily a book that I would recommend for all of your theology related to the Sabbath. But we're going to end this morning considering as an application something for you to take home and you to try to put in his work. And this is each one of his chapters he ends with a practical tool that you can use on your own to help you in remembering and practically thinking or feeling, experiencing Sabbath. So here's his words. Sabbath can only begin if we close the factory, turn out the lights, turn off the computer, and withdraw from the concerns of the marketplace. Choose at least one heavily used appliance or device, such as the telephone, TV, computer, washer and dryer, and let them rest for a Sabbath period. Whether it is morning, afternoon, or an entire day, surrender to a quality of time when you will not be disturbed, seduced, or responsive to what our technologies have to offer. So again, this is something for you to try. I encourage you, maybe try it today, maybe next Sunday, but something to put into practice in order to help remember the Sabbath day. And that is just turn something off for some time. Maybe instead of watching TV for two hours, you don't watch TV for two hours. Maybe you don't use your phone or take the kid's phone away and don't let them have their phones. Whatever it is you decide, that's between you and God, but take that time and put it away for however long that you decide. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you that you have given us this morning. We thank you for the words that you have given us. And Lord, we thank you that you love us so much. Lord, that you desire us to take some time away and to to have a Sabbath rest. Lord, we thank you for the work that you have given us. But Lord, we pray that you will help us to take the rest that we need so that we can continue doing the work that you have given to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.